Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hopefully you are wrapping up the week feeling good. Got a big weekend ahead. Hope you are planning tons of rest, lots of joy and pleasure, doing some things that are meaningful to you, taking time away from everyone, or maybe you're finding ways to connect with some people. Wearing that mask, six feet apart, vaccinated or not. Although, again, if all parties are vaccinated, supposedly it is cool to take our masks off. Still take a little space, but we can kick it with a few people, five or six, you know. But those are that's what's starting to happen. People are starting to get the vaccines. So now we have that whole, I'm fully vaccinated. <laughs> Seeing some airlines that are talking about a vaccination passport, kind of touched on this a few weeks ago. We're not really wanting to create any sense of othering or secondary citizens, but a lot of people are for it. They're saying, look, I want to know that it's safe to board planes, go to certain spaces. We reported on a festival in England, the UK, where they were mandating that anyone attend is tested or has a vaccination. Some singers pulled out saying they don't support that kind of control and legislation. But again, I guess I get it where people are saying, look, we want to return to putting on events. We don't want to be a super spreader event and lead to the death of anyone. And so we want to create a space that's safe. And we need to know that people entering aren't going to possibly spread or infect other people. I kind of, I get it. I get it. It's nuanced, complex, lots to unpack in there, but I, I get the, I, I get the concept. Also again, an article about all the things that are happening. Uh, one of the things, this is kind of funny. This came out of the Atlantic that uh, a lot of people are talking about uh, one of the side effects of COVID is that their coffee now smells like sewage. You know, I never had COVID. That would hurt my heart. I'm a big coffee drinker. It's one of the, one of the joys in my life. It started to taste like sewage, thereby repelling me from using it. Be a big letdown. Uh, positive News Pantene has joined a wealth of companies. I'm constantly seeing ads now that are more inclusive, including uh, more people of color. But uh, right now, I want to zero in on the inclusion of uh, same-sexed parents and couples uh, always getting pushback. We talked about a, a lot of brands. Pantene has one now, two moms and a trans daughter. Why? Because that's what some families look like. Doesn't matter what you think about it, whether you think it's good or bad. It is, it exists. And so it gets to be represented on television. And I love that. So thank you, Pantene. Don't necessarily use your products, but I now think kindlier of you because you're trying to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And I honestly don't even care if they're doing it performatively. It's important to see. It will start important needed conversations in people's homes about the fact that that is a thing and it does exist and there's nothing wrong with that. And also will make some people feel more included and accepted. So I'm, I'm here for it. I think stuff like that's great. I want more of that, right? Also looking at an article about the benefits of sleeping naked. Never got in on that. 
Um, if you're a heavy sweater, that's not going to be good. You're going to need to clean your sheets a lot. If you're not really a sweater, it could be good for temperature. It's more of a temperature thing. I never got in on that. I always liked going to bed wearing some things. It always made me feel, um, I don't know, kind of like the weighted blanket concept where that pressure is more like a, it's like a container, like a holding. It's very soothing. I think I find underwear to be the same. Like people that don't wear underwear, I never got that. For me, I like feeling snug, secure, held, <laughs> supported. Um, but yes, another article out talking about the benefits of sleeping naked. Again, it's not my thing, but they talk about you fall asleep better, faster, higher quality of sleep. Again, a lot of it's about temperature regulation. Your body cools down and that tells you, tells your body it's time to sleep. I don't know, it keeps your skin healthy. I mean, there's a whole list, reduces some anxiety and stress. Just not my jam. You know, but props to those that do that. Um, here's another one. I love this story as well. Uh, my dad became my best friend during the lockdown. The reason why I love that is I think some people were really surprised at who they got closer to and who they drifted from during the lockdown. Hold that loosely. That could be a result of the person's stressors or increased complications in their life, and that might be why they drifted. We want to be very thoughtful about not saying, oh, they're a bad friend, they you know, left me. Like We don't know what's going on in their lives, or, or maybe you do, but also we want to really honor who's been brought in we've gotten closer to, because as these things are shifting, we get to decide what kind of life we want to have post-pandemic, right? Who do we want to center? Who do we want to prioritize? So I don't know, but I, I'm hearing a lot of people talk about that. They're surprised getting closer to family members, farther away from other family members. It's interesting. I know I saw that in my own private life. You know, I was, it was really interesting who I drifted and who I stayed closer to. It's been a gift. I've gotten closer to a lot of people, you know, and uh, we'll, cl we'll close out on our little, little news update segment on a proud trans woman of color. Will Vida compete in Miss USA? I love that after a stunning pageant victory. This is amazing. So newly crowned Miss Silver State USA, Cataluna Enriquez will be the first trans woman of color to compete in the Miss Nevada USA pageant. If she wins, could go on to win Miss USA. Talk about that being some representation. So she's won trans pageants before, but it's the first time in a mainstream uh, contest. Yeah, lots of obstacles she's gonna have to overcome, but I think uh, this kind of inclusion and acceptance and being able to be a proud transgender woman of color, it's gonna be really huge for a lot of people. I mean, this is a quote of her. She said, growing up, I was often told that I was not allowed to be myself or to be in spaces that I was not welcome. One of the obstacles I encounter every day is just being true to myself, bam. A lot of people feel that way, special people that are in marginalized communities or of minority, different minority statuses. So always here for people to remind us of what's possible or at least trying to kind of force and create change. So good stuff. All right, y'all. Coming up, we're going to be talking about some dating tips for those that are non-monogamous. We're going to be debunking the problematically pejorative shaming term laziness. Yes, let's remove that word from our vocabulary. There's no need for it. It just shames a different way of being. People having other priorities. We'll unpack it. And then uh, we'll be closing out the show with some DM but also talking about porn. Oh, I know. The good, the bad, and the ugly of it all. Stick around for that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. And as promised, we're going to talk about non-monogamy. That's right. What are some things you need to ask if you're one of those non-monogamous people and you're about to go on a date? We don't want to keep centering monogamy marriages, though that's what everyone's doing or that's the goal for everyone. That's awesome. That's for some people. Um, in fact, I just released an article, you can find it on all my social media, um, about 
toxic forms of monogamy. Not that monogamy is inherently always toxic, but talking about the forms of it that are. And I uh, absolutely, we've talked about that a little bit. I've sprinkled it in, but we'll do a more more powerful deep dive into that. But I want to talk to the non-monogamous people out there because again, Loveline, we speak to everyone. We are inclusive and uh, non-monogamous. Dating can be funky. It can be clunky. Why? We don't have a lot of training in it or socialization. It's new for us culturally. Uh, the younger generations are practicing it in higher numbers. It will become a norm. I do believe um, not in my lifetime, but I do believe that marriage and monogamy will find its way out and that it will flip and that will be the minority. That's not good or bad. In many worlds, it's great because a lot of the ways we run our marriages and our relationships are quite toxic about ownership and jealousy and we're threatened by everything and it really decreases the quality of people's lives, which is not why we should be married or in relationships. Uh, we should be in them to make our lives better and if they're not, it's time to make changes or it's time to go. We don't have to have them. We need them. They're beautiful. Uh, but we need them in terms of enhancement, companionship, joy, fun, pleasure. That's the only parts we need. We do better, most of us, when in relationship, but only when it's healthy, not when it's not. And I work with a lot of couples that are sticking around because they're scared, they're anxious, they don't know any different, they don't feel like they have options, and they're really harming each other's mental health, and it's not they're not better for it. So if you are non-monogamous and you are out there in the dating world, which FYI, we do have to ask those questions. If you're on a dating app, please do not assume everyone's looking for a primary partner, that everyone's single. Please do not assume that everyone practices monogamy. Please do not assume everyone wants marriage. And that's a good thing. It means we have to actually build intimacy and ask questions. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't be afraid of that. You know, be where you are, ask questions. So the first thing is you have to ask people what kind of style of relationship they have. Yes, we need to be asking those things. And again, remember that what they say at the beginning might change. People grow and change. What they say to you on day one might be different three years in. They might say, listen, I've evolved and changed and now I am looking for something different. Um, even someone that from the door says, I want mon you know, marriage, I want monogamy. Nope, things change. So no one can promise or commit to anything. But we want to ask that. We also want to ask about hierarchy. Um, do they prioritize a primary over others? Because we do have another relational style, which they call, funny enough, relational anarchy, which is no relationship's more important than another. Friends, family members, everyone's on the same level. And it's not the same style historically of people thinking, if you're my romantic partner or my husband or wife, I expect to always be prioritized. Relational anarchy is the idea that everyone has worth and value and all relationships offer something that others don't and everyone gets equal bidding. And so it's more of a horizontal power structure, not a vertical one. And as we know, vertical power structures tend to be oppressive and they tend to really devalue those at the lower end. And that's not necessarily necessary. That's not necessarily necessary. <laughs> I actually have to start using that more. Um, so that's important. Also, you want to understand if they are in a primary partnership and you're coming in as secondary or tertiary, does that primary partner get to decide on, on your presence in the relationship? Meaning if two people are in a primary, but they're non-monogamous, some people run it such that those two will decide whether or not these new people continue to stay in their lives, meaning they have veto power. And that, that can be very destabilizing. Imagine dating someone, knowing that their partner has the power to decide how long you're in their life for. And that, again, that's that vertical power structure. But monogamous couples do that too, where some people think that they have a right to tell their partner who they can be friends with. So they pull that, they pull that card anyway. So you want to ask about that. Is there a hierarchy? Does anyone have veto power? Also things like what do I need to know? Are there any rules, limits, structures, regulations, right? You want to know what you're up against. You want to know what the expectations are. You want to know how does, how do holidays work? What can I expect on Valentine's day? What kind of time can I expect to spend with you on Christmas? What about on birthdays? 
So you want to understand that as well, because again, a lot of people move into contracts where as a partnership, open or otherwise, they talk out what's going to feel okay to them. And even non-monogamous couples need to do that. When they say things like monogamy, well, what's your definition of monogamy? Very few couples shockingly ask that, yet hold them to the high expectation of their definition, never asking their partner what their partner's definition is. And that leaves a lot of gray areas for things to happen that maybe the other one isn't comfortable with, right? So you want to talk about that. Also, what sex acts are available, what sex aren't available. Some, some, some people say these are things we can only do together in our primary relationship, but there's things that um, you can go do with someone else. I know there's a lot, but everyone needs to ask these things anyway, because again, remember, even when you're dating for marriage or monogamy, you still need to ask people about who they are as an erotic being. What are the kinds of things that they're open to and interested in? What are the kinds of things they're not? That's part of courtship. That's part of getting to know someone, assessing that level of compatibility. So again, everyone needs to be asking these questions, but especially people that are into non-monogamy, because you need to understand these things. The holidays one is huge. I mean, God bless Valentine's Day. A lot of people want to participate in that. And if, you have, if you're dating multiple people, you're going to have to really kind of figure out how you're going to pull that one off. God bless. <laughs> it's a tough one. Um, and also just to, in terms of, you know, who you're going to be brought into, who, you're going to get, who you are going to get to know. Do you get to meet people's family members? Are they out about being non-monogamous? Is it something that they have more boundaries about? A lot of people understand that our culture doesn't really value and sometimes pathologizes people that are non-monogamous. And so they're not always publicly out to friends and or family members. Some people's jobs might be on the line, which is so heartbreaking to hear because again, someone's mental health or ability to do a job has absolutely nothing to do with their relational structure. In fact, those that are radical, revolutionary enough to be as honest as to say, I'm not built for monogamy, in my mind have far healthier mental health because they're willing to not assimilate or conform and they're living from truth and reality and they're willing to do the difficult work that non-monogamy requires in terms of communication and trust and honesty and boundary holding. And so that's more profound to me because remember, not everyone chooses monogamy or marriage from their higher, better self. Sometimes people choose it out of anxiety and fear, and that isn't inherently healthy. Neither, no relational style is inherently healthy. The health is determined by the health of the individuals doing it, how they're doing it. That's what matters. All styles have the possibility for health or lack thereof. It's about the people. All right, when we come back, we're going to be talking about laziness. Stick around for that because it's a word I want us to get rid of and throw away. No one's lazy. We're just not leaving the lives that have worth and value to us or we're shaming ourselves. And then we're going to be doing some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about laziness. What a tyrannical term, what a tyrannical concept. Uh, laziness, something that I think is um, often misapplied. And in the field of psychology, it's not a real thing. So I want to really unpack this because I think we, you know, tend to uh, avoid critically analyzing some of these concepts that we sling around with a lot of ease assuming everyone has the same, you know, universal operational definition when we don't. And it's actually very culturally situated, also very racially situated. Um, different cultures have different perspectives around what our worth is tied to and work ethic. And here in white America, right, whether you're white or not, we have white 
norms that tend to be centered and we ignore, well, white cis hetero, right? We ignore uh, norms from other cultures, other races, also other sexual identity subpopulations. You know, we talk about queerness, which is not about being gay. Queerness, the, the, the way I use it with a capital Q, is about non-normativity. It's a area of study. It's a theory, queer theory. It's like feminist theory. It, it is rooted in specific principles and ethics, right? And um, it's straights can be queer, gays can be queer. Uh, it's capital Q. It's it's an identity outside of identities, and it really flips things on its head. So I love. And again, this is this is something. This is a lens I apply to a lot of things. So we live in a culture that really ties our worth uh, as humans to what we produce and what we own. And that's unfortunate because not everyone's given the same opportunities. We absolutely do not live in a meritocracy, which means people don't earn or get where they are based on what they earned. Uh, people don't necessarily get where they are because of hard work. That's like the, one of the biggest American lies. I think the stats show that 60 to 70% of the wealthiest people on our planet got where they are and their wealth because it was inherited. They didn't earn it. It wasn't because they deserved it. It was because they were in the right place at the right time genetically and were birthed into a family, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a lie that anyone can have whatever you want if you just work hard enough. That's not true. A lot of people start out at a deficit. If you're if you're black, you're at a deficit in our culture in terms of what's achievable. We're working on changing that. If you're disabled, you're at a deficit. Larger bodied, gay, trans. Not everyone has the same access or the same resources. Right? We we know looking at the stats what percentage of individuals are unemployed. We look at the stats, look at which individuals struggle with getting employment. Tons of studies talking about getting called back based on your resume, um, getting called back for a job interview based on your resume. If your name does not read white, you are less likely to get brought in for the interview. If your gender doesn't match the identification you have, the gender you were assigned at birth, also a struggle to get employment. I mean, there's a, there's a lot out there. We also know people that are in larger bodies, people that are fat, that they also are seen inherently as lazy and not competent and also struggle to get employment or to be kept employed or the perspective on the work they do. These are really meaningful things. So there's a lot of work out there talking about the fact that we need to be kinder with ourselves. We need to disengage our worth as being tied to our productivity. Uh, and that laziness is actually often a healthy position, right? Um, we can't be busy all the time. And there is this term in mental health called contentment. It's really very much my ideas of contentment and happiness are barred from Eastern psychology and Eastern philosophy and spirituality all coalescing into one. But it basically tells us that the, the work of happiness or, or meaning in our life is contentment, being content with what we have, seeing enough is enough. We don't always need more, bigger, harder, faster, but that's the world we live in. We always think we need the new clothing, new hairstyle, new car, new home. And we're constantly trapped in this treadmill of purchasing. We need to not purchase anything else. Most of us have our needs met, right? But advertising and marketing has to create a lack and make us feel like we're not enough or a deficit. And in our culture, it's a very bold, radical act to say, I'm good. I don't need anything else, right? Consumerism is a trap and it actually leads to more unhappiness, not the happiness that we think we'll feel upon purchasing. You will initially, that's joy. It's a quick spike. It's a bleep. But then you go back down your baseline and it just becomes another product that's kind of floating around. So we have to back away from all of that and we need to just really reprioritize our time. And I look at laziness very much as a term that we use against ourselves, but other you, others use for us or put upon us when they're not happy or content or they're made anxious. 
with the lower levels of work we're doing. And I really value people that are now like myself trying to reprioritize rest and saying, let's not actually glamorize working really hard and burning out and not being able to attend to your life or go to your friend's birthday party or take vacation. Let's actually glamorize and idealize rest. People that are like, yeah, I took the entire weekend off. I want everyone to clap and be like, that's amazing. That's my goal. It's been my goal. More time off, working less, saying no more, setting boundaries. I've been proud of myself. It's been really hard. I've turned down some massive projects because I was like, no, that doesn't sound fun and that sounds exhausting and I'm doing a lot, I'm doing enough. And enough has to be enough. And I want people to work towards contentment, which is I'm good with where I'm at, I'm good with what I have. And not necessarily buying into this idea that we have to keep pushing ourselves. I see people do that in my relationship, even in terms of their marriage, their mental health, their sexuality, whatever it is. We're always trying to push for more. We see it in gym culture. It's like we just don't really valorize in the ways we need to contentment, letting what we have be enough. And that's where healing really, really, really lies. So we're going to keep talking about it. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to be sliding into the DMs. And then we're going to be talking about porn. That's right. It's here. It's not going away. It's very controversial. Uh, We're going to dig deep into it, though, so stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I have friends that are anti this coronavirus vaccine. Ah, yes. I've given them multiple facts, places to get information, and they still just don't care. Well, you did your part, right? However, okay, however, they'll get upset at me if I say I don't want to go out with him or hang out until they get vaccinated or until at least I do. I'm starting to feel like they aren't respecting my boundaries. Well, because they're not. They're absolutely not. And it sounds like they're bullying and pushing you into doing something you don't feel safe. Look, people that care about us will care about our health. And they're they're being absolutely ridiculous. If they don't want to get vaccinated, that's up to them. That's their business, although they are impacting others. So it's a little questionable ethically. However, for them to not support your need or desire to get vaccinated is gross. And they're being toxic and they're not honoring boundaries. They're not. It's just not okay. Um, uh, Oh, here we go. I'm starting to feel like they aren't respecting my boundaries, which I learned from you. Is very important. Yeah, it's number one. Number one part about all this boundaries, set them with your boss, set them with your parents, set them with your loved ones, set them with your friends, set them with everyone. No one is above being, have. no one's above having a boundary set with them. But boundaries are the center point of our mental health, letting people know what's acceptable, who we are, what we'll allow, right? That's how we assert ourselves. That's actually how we have adult relationships is boundaries. And if people won't allow them, then they're toxic. I don't care who it is. We get to set boundaries with everyone, the police, the governor, like everyone gets to have boundaries set with them. That's important. And how someone responds to your boundary setting shows how mentally healthy they are. It goes both ways. What the boundaries we set and also the way people respond to our boundaries. That's how we really find out about people. So yeah, not okay. Can you maybe please give me a way to explain to them how they're making me feel? Yeah, you tell them. You're making me feel bad. And it's important that I have friends in my life that care about me, make me feel good. I appreciate that boundaries aren't, I'm sorry, I appreciate that vaccines aren't something you guys are down for. I am. Thereby, it's important to you because it's important to me. And if you care about me, what's important to me becomes important to you. Y'all don't need to go do it, but I do. And once I do, then I'll hang out with y'all. But until then, we're FaceTiming, or maybe I'll meet you outside for a little bit of time with a mask on six feet apart. And if y'all don't want to follow those boundaries, well, then I'm not going to see you till I'm vaccinated. 
and then you still continue to wear your mask. I'm telling everyone, I don't care what you're, what you're, what everyone else is doing. You wear a mask. If you live in Florida where everyone's without them, you be the one person that's wearing one. Cause I guarantee you there's other people that don't feel safe or confident enough to wear one and you'll inspire them. But again, everyone listening, when someone sets a boundary with you, everything you say and do in response to that determines how good of a person, friend, and how mentally healthy you are. When someone sets a boundary with you, you respect that. You don't bully and push and try to climb over and knock it down or mock it, you know? So I'm sorry that that's happening. It's kind of like the whole Donald Trump thing. That was also creating a lot of learning. And the, the people, the way people are handling the coronavirus is also creating a lot of learning, learning about the ethics of those around us, how much they care for us, how they honor boundaries, ethics. Yeah, this this year and last year brought a lot of Black Lives Mattering as well. That's also create a lot of learning about who in our life is a racist and a bigot who's allowing and supporting these things systemically. It's been a rough two years, but you know, the truth is coming out, right? It arises to the surface. So hang in there. I can't say it's gonna get better. It might get harder. You know what I mean? Because also good luck to them because there's concerts that are demanding a vaccination. There are airlines that are demanding a vaccination. There are colleges that are demanding a vaccination, right? Uh, what was the other thing I read about recently that was really surprising to me? Gyms, there's some gyms that are requiring vaccination proof. So they're gonna be limited. They're totally gonna be limited in the way that they're gonna be able to participate in certain things. Maybe not locally, but they will in a broader scale. So it's like, good luck. I know I don't want to be around someone that's not vaccinated because they have the potentiality of passing along something to me that whether or not it impacts me directly, I might then pass along to someone else. And I have a collective sense of ethics and responsibility. I care about others. I don't believe in that toxic individualism where I need to worry about myself. That's gross. You know, that's narcissism at its finest, right? Like we have to care about how we impact others. That's relational health. That's mental health, 100%. So it bums me out. So again, I'm not saying write them off, but let them know like that's a boundary violation. And if something's important to me, it needs to be important to you. I'm trying to protect my freaking health and the health of those around me. Set the boundary. What they do says everything, you know? Tough times, but hold your ground. Coming up next, porn. Yep, we're gonna talk about the therapeutic uses of porn, the benefits of porn, how to have a healthy conversation around porn literacy because it's here to, it's here to stay. It's entertainment, it's art, and it's a counterbalance, a needed important counterbalance to our sex negative, sex phobic culture. And they'll be closing out with some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about pornography. Oh, so much fear comes up when we talk about pornography. It's interesting. You know, porn is a form of um, eroticism. It's also a form of art. It's a form of filmmaking. And it's interesting that we put so much pressure on this one form and not as much on other forms. Uh, people consume a lot of media and media is a very powerful socializer. It really shapes the way we see ourselves, others and the world. And I'm more concerned about the forms of media that we're consuming all day long, which isn't erotic material. It's material that's promoting classism, racism, wealth, consumerism, materialism, all, all these problematic things that are what bring people into my office. People are not flooding into therapy because the impacts of porn. They're flooding into therapy because we live in a capitalistic culture, which tells people that they should work themselves to the bone for someone else to make money off their labor, that your worth is only tied to how big your house is and how much money you make. Um, 
people are coming into my office because they're marginalized and exploited because they're not part of the majority identity of being white, cis, hetero, able-bodied, upper class. Like that's the things that are driving people in that we don't understand how to think of others. We're trapped in, you know, toxic individualism where we worry about ourselves only or our family only or our neighborhood only or our state only or our country only. Like you can move that dividing line wherever you want, but at some point you hit the line where people are like, yes, that's my line. I only care about America. That's my line. Or I only care about California and the West coast, or I only care about my neighborhood, you know, and the, the schools in my neighborhood or whatever it is. It's like that you can move that line, but there's at some point everyone hits that line. I want us all to have a collective consciousness, a collective responsibility, excuse me, my phone, where we care about humans. We care about all life. We care about animals, the environment, humans, Look at the violence and murder we put on the environment and animals. What's that about? Let's talk about that for a minute. But bring it all back in. My point is, is that we consume a lot of different kinds of media. And it's not fair to just target porn, erotic media, as the only form of art and media that we see as threatening. I am worried about, like I said, all the factors I just unpacked, but also violence on television, poor relational skills, all sorts of things, right? Like I know that that is upsetting to some people, but that's consumed far more right? And more consistently. So porn's there. Erotic material has been existing since the beginning of time. It's literally, literally on in caves. It's literally on pottery. It's literally built into art, including Christian art. In Christian art, there is eroticism and sexuality and nudity. It's been with us forever. It's not going away, nor does it need to. We, we don't, we can't, we can't lean away from everything that makes us anxious. We have to learn how to encounter things, including sex. Our inability to encounter and acknowledge sexuality is what leads to a lot of impulse control issues and sexual assaults as people don't know how to deal with and work with their sexuality. We never talk about it. Our sex education program is horrible. And then we magically think that when people are of age that they will just naturally step into sexuality, know how to deal with their arousal system and their impulses and communication and consent and boundaries and aftercare. (laughs) A lot of adults still don't know what that means. What is post-sex aftercare? Don't know? That's my point, right? A lot of people don't even fully know what their sexuality is. They think it's just about the gender choice. Oh, I like guys or girls. That's what it is. What? It's bigger than that. Some people have never even stepped into or fully shared it with someone else right? So that's where the work is. And erotic art is, is, is art and art has its place, but art's place isn't for everyone at all times. There is some art that is not erotic that I would not necessarily want my child to see without having a conversation first about the violence or the gore or the symbolism is it, the symbolism in it, right? And we need to have literacy around everything. I don't want people to just read a study, a new study that came out and think that that's enough. We have to even know how to look at studies, So I don't think all media or art is neutral. It all has its place and its value, but we have to teach people how to encounter it. And now that we have smartphones, it's everywhere. Everything is everywhere. I want people to understand everything. I want people to understand gender roles better. I don't want when I have kids for them to just see boys do this, girls do that. I want to unpack that too. That's toxic. Gender roles are toxic. It moves people out of truth and authenticity. It says you have to be a certain way because of the genitals that we've seen uh, between your legs when you were born. That's not truth or authenticity, right? So we have a lot of work to do. But we don't, wanna, we don't need to hide sex. It's not going away. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I don't just mean nudity. When I say sex, I mean arousal, pleasure, bodies. They're everywhere. No matter how covered up we go from our chin to our ankles, you will still see the body in front of you and possibly be drawn in or aroused. So again, the work isn't more hiding, which is what people say. There was 
a big article about, uh, I think, Megan Stein's performance at the Grammys, maybe. I don't know. I don't keep up with that that kind of pop music. It's not my jam. And people are saying, oh, that's setting women back. No, that's pushing women forward, saying I can embody fully my sexuality publicly, and I still have worth and value. I'm still talented. There's nothing to be afraid of. What are you afraid of? Being turned on by what you're seeing? Yes, arousal happens. So again, we have to learn how to step into an encounter. Now, I'm not saying porn is just completely neutral. No art, no, no education, no art, no media is completely neutral. So we have to give a languaging. What are we looking at? What is its purpose? What is its meaning? What is its impact? We're going to take a break and when we come back, we're going to talk more about that because porn has a lot of valuable things to give us. Most importantly, it's a counterbalance to our sex phobic culture. And the fact that it's relegated off to the side of some other thing is a sign that we need more integration and confidence around it. So we're going to come back and keep talking about adult erotic material and art. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about pornography and we're acknowledging that it's been around since the beginning of time. All art and media and erotic art and media is part of art and media. There are journals, uh, fields of study around this. Yes, you can get a, get a minor or major in porn studies and erotic sexology, like sexology is a degree. I have a degree in sexology. I love the study of how human sexuality shows up in our lives and in our psyche and in culture. And it's nothing to be afraid of, but we have to teach our children how to look at what they're seeing. Because again, porn isn't supposed to educate us on really anything. That's like saying that the new um, you know, uh, superhero movie is supposed to have the responsibility of teaching blah, 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 blah. It doesn't. It's entertainment. And it's a reflection of where we are in culture and what people want to see. And pornography is very much the same thing. We shouldn't put the responsibility on porn to be more honest or or realistic than we put on other forms of art, including songs, books, and movies. So whatever you expect of seeing in the new Wonder Woman movie or whatever you expect to see in the new Transformers movie or the new, you know, whatever, whoever love movie, that's the same expectations we should have on porn, that it is there for what it's there for. It's not for everyone and it's not supposed to do everything. But if we had better sex education in schools and at home and in the world, then people would better understand what they're looking at because porn isn't supposed to show us real world sex. Now, let me take a sidestep. There is some porn that actually has taken up that responsibility and there's a lot of it coming out and I love it. And there's a lot of different websites and directors and performers that are saying, I wanna show people more honest depictions of sex and more honest depictions of the diversity of bodies. And the labels I use right now are queer porn, which again is not gay or straight, it's non-normative, it's challenging those norms, or feminist porn and body positive porn. And all those terms exist in some different production houses right? Crash Pad series, uh, Pink, um, Belasco. There's a lot that are starting to curate this and it has diverse bodies. That's right. Because we don't want to keep reinforcing the same body that traditional standard porn shows us because that's not what most of us look like before, during, or after sexuality, right? So we want to watch more body positive, feminist, diverse porn. What else, what also does it afford us? Well, it shows us but what goes wrong in sex at times? You know, it shows us the negotiation of safer sex practices, which you'll never see in normal porn. But you also don't see that in love scenes in any movie that you love. People talk about things like The Notebook. Oh, I love The Notebook and Titanic. Great. But those are also poor sex educators. I, in none of those love scenes, did I see anyone talk about consent, safer sex practices. There was no post-sex aftercare. Like, so... That's no better, but yet we're totally okay with that. But children are watching shows like The Bachelor and, and, and Titanic, and they're internalizing that as what it's supposed to look like. It doesn't look like that at all. 
we even think about the notebook, which showed a lot of like minor forms of sexual assault and poor boundaries. Like he wasn't honoring what he was being told. We see a lot of movies where people are told no and they keep courting, they keep pushing, they keep chasing. That's not consent. That's not healthy boundaries, right? But we don't get up in arms about that. We need to be. We need to be talking about everything with a real critical lens. But there is porn that will reflect back different shapes and sizes of bodies right? Because believe it or not, people will say they know better, but then they'll have a lot of body shame or genital shame because they don't look like the performers in the porn that they're watching. Start watching more diverse porn to remind you and to internalize unconsciously all the diverse creative ways and bodies that exist. It's very valuable and important for our own sexual and body esteem, but that's our responsibility. So seek out those kinds of things, but we do need to talk to children from young ages that they're going to encounter all different kinds of material, but that's not def it's not a message or commentary on how the world works or what the expectations should be on them. That this is this filmmaker's vision, and this is what it might look like for some people sometimes, but we have to talk about the fact that it's just art. It's just film, right? But sex sexuality is a developmental stage that everyone except for people that are asexual and even individuals that are asexual will at some point step into. Because even if we're not getting naked and having sex with a person in our room, sexuality still exists out in the world. Even asexual people, people that might not have sexual interests or sex drive, they will still be encountering sexuality via film, music, conversations, billboards, just moving through the world. Our sexuality, again, is what we choose to wear. It's eye contact we make or don't make. It's how close we stand to someone. It's the way we look at someone. It's our thoughts. It's our feelings. It's, it's everywhere, right? And so we will all be encountering these things. We have to understand boundaries and communication and consent and impulse control. And porn isn't going to show us that. And its job isn't to have to show us that, just like we don't watch our daytime soap operas expecting them to educate to the best of their ability on healthy relational skills and communication. Because if it did, those storylines would be far different than what we see, right? I watch The Bachelor every blue moon. I'm horrified at what it's normalizing in terms of girls being threatened by each other, guys thinking it's a competition, people, again, not understanding any of the stages of courtship or healthy boundaries or consent or honest communication, right? So porn does have a lot of benefits though. And as I said earlier, they're a counterbalance to all that's missing in our world. They're a counterbalance to how phobic and afraid we are of sex. We are both obsessed with sex and completely afraid of it. So when we come back, we're gonna spend the segment talking about some of the therapeutic uses and benefits of porn because I absolutely do use it therapeutically and I absolutely do prescribe it to people and it has a, a very healing capacity. So we're gonna break that on down and then we'll be closing out the show with some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about pornography. And, uh, you know, it's one of the most interesting things I can do as a certified sex therapist, which I recommend people seeing if you want to work on sex, gender, um, arousal, relationships, marriage. See a certified sex therapist. They're trained in all this. And I was saying my, the, one of the greatest parts of me working as a sex therapist when I'm not working as a general psychologist treating everything generally as well um, is I not just do therapy on sex. I help people use sex therapeutically. And porn is a really great vehicle for many people to do that. And so I work with many individuals on learning how to use their sexuality as a way to grow and uh, you know, transform. So what kinds of things does it do? Well, let's talk about, it. number one, it normalizes diverse sex acts. Some people are so erotic, erotophobic, they don't have a lot of experience seeing or be participating in sex. Porn's a really good way to see something. Look, 
sex is an experience and a skill. It's a developmental milestone. It needs to be engaged in an experience. We can't just talk about it. You don't go to culinary school and just sit there talking about sex. You actually practice. You get into it. I want all my clients and everyone in my life getting out there and having a lot of sex, learning how to set boundaries, communicate, find out who they are. It's developmental. We don't need to be afraid of it. We need to learn how to encounter and live in it. So porn helps us move towards that. It also helps give some self-esteem and body esteem to diverse bodies when they watch diverse porn, which can easily now be found, and they see their body, their exact body, whatever their body type is or shape is or ability reflected back as being erotic and desired. That is very healing. When we tend to live in a world where we only see one body type constantly being eroticized. It also helps couples find new ways of being sexual. It can give them some ideas. It can also help them stumble into finding a scenario that's hot that they wouldn't have realized otherwise. It also gives sex to single people or people that are solo sex. Some people are solo sexed. Their sexual orientation is not about sex with others. It's not partnered. It's solo. It's sex with themselves. Maybe that's their total sexuality. Maybe it's just part of it, right? It provides that. Also helps monogamy. Those that are choosing monogamy, it helps the higher sexual desire partner to have maybe more sex, more diverse sex. Sex is also great, and porn helps with this, for self-soothing and self-care, stress relief, right? It can really help bring us back down. It's also entertaining. It's entertainment. For some, it's employment. We're working to decriminalize sex work because sex work is real work. Also, there's something very feminist about porn use because it helps detach sex from needing a man or from patriarchy or from relationship. It's sexually empowering. I can have sex with myself. I don't need anyone else. And it's really bold still in our culture, especially for certain women, but women in general, to acknowledge that they're sexual beings and to prioritize sex. That's powerful, that's healing. It's removing the sex phobia, right? It also provides a really beautiful place um, for us to sometimes be witnessed by our partner, right? I love couples that share porn. We can watch porn and share the kind of porn we watch to let our partners know more about who we are. And the kind of porn we watch does not mean that that's what we really wanna do. Porn exists as fantasy where that's the safe way to engage in it and we don't need to or want to go out and engage in the world. A lot of people are like, look, I watch certain sexual scenarios in porn only because I don't have the time, money, interest to deal with it. Whatever it is, it's, it's an easy way to step in and engage it. And with a partner, it's an easy way to have sex with others. Visually, psychologically, they're in the room with us, but it's just on screen and that can make some people feel far safer, right? And again, it brings us back to our true sexual self because it reminds us of all the different things that might arouse us. And it's not just gender choice. It's about the scenarios. Pay attention to the parts you really zero in on or the parts you like to orgasm at. What's happening? It's not just about the genders. It's the sexual positions, maybe. Or maybe it's the power dynamic. Or maybe it's what they're wearing. Or maybe it's where they are. Or maybe it's the scenario that's been set up, right? But there's specificities to it. It's, it's broader and deeper, more complex than just... You know, I'll ask people, what kind of porn do you watch? Oh, normal guy, girl, or normal guy, guy. And it's like, no, but that's not true. It's so much more specific than that, right? It's so much more specific than that. And, and it's so funny how a lot of women are major consumers of porn. And a lot of women like gay porn because the straight porn is so robotic. It ignores the female's pleasure, which feminist porn brings in. It's more foreplay-based. It focuses on the female's pleasure. It's not just about the guy getting off. It's not just obsessed with penetration. That's why a lot of women like feminist porn. A lot of women also like gay porn because they can see the, the, the animal side of it. They're in there. They're enjoying it. 
um, straight men also often like feminist porn because again, they also have a sexual orientation that likes maybe some more foreplay or more romance or more extended aftercare. It's really valuable stuff, but we tend to really knock and have a lot of fear of it. And anything we have a fear of, we have work to do around it because it exists. It's not going away. It doesn't need to. We don't need to get rid of it and shun it. We need to step into it. There is a time when women covered up from their chin to their ankles. They even covered the legs on furniture because that was seen as not being modest. And modesty is rooted in shame. Anything we're hiding is generally rooted in shame. And the way we work through that is exposure, bringing that out into the light, out into the world, shining a light on our shadow side. And that's part of it. And that's why porn's important. It, it shows us where our work is. It shows us where our, our cultural shadow exists. And we need to integrate it more, not repress and deny. Denial and repression don't make things go away. They give them more power. And the way we disempower is by integrating it in, normalizing, and that's the work. All right, y'all, that's that. We'll talk more about it because I got a lot more to say. But uh, DM's coming up next, so stick around for that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, this DM says, Hey, Dr. Chris, I had a quick question about polyamorous relationships. I got to talk more about those. What is the best way to address someone about them? My boyfriend and I have been together for a year, but it's kind of started to slow down. What does that mean? Like the love, the passion, the time together, the communication. I need more details. Really, I really like him still. However, just looking for something more exciting. So I thought this might be a good idea. No, 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 no. If, if your only reason for wanting polyamory is because it sounds like a good idea or exciting, you're not ready. Polyamory is having multiple ongoing relationships. An open relationship means you're my, my boo, my number one, my priority, my primary, and I'll maybe have sex with others. That's called open. Polyamory means I have multiple ongoing relationships. Don't do it because you think it's neat. Do it because you have the interest, you have the time, you have the energy. You're looking to have more transformative experiences. You're looking to be challenged and grow. More relationships means more complexity. It doesn't make anything better or easier. By no means think that that will make your relationship with your primary better unless you're feeling stunted and, 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 and claustrophobic in some ways and you want other people to do things with and to go out into the world and you want more romance, love, and care. That's a meaningful reason. But I just want to drive home that it's more responsibility. It's another relationship. So you have to have the time and the energy. It's, it's, it's you're, everyone's as important. It's not just a fling. That's called an open relationship, which is what it sounds like you want. You just want non-monogamy. You want to be able to just have sex with others. That's cool. But if you're looking to build multiple ongoing relationships, that's a whole different thing. You know, um, all right, I got another one. This one came in saying, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm pretty mad, upset, and sad about my family. They, they claim to accept me for who I am. I've come out recently as bisexual, but over the weekend, we had cousins come over and I was the butt of every joke. How can I let them know this isn't a joke? It's actually something I'm struggling with. Well, by saying that, <laughs> whenever someone says, how do I say dot, 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 the answer is by saying it. Um, Biphobia is real. I'll say this much though, and I'm not saying that this is the case because if you feel like you're that, if you feel like you're the butt of a joke, then you are, right? Um, humor is sometimes the way people show that they're comfortable and accepting of something, but there's a loving form that lets you feel included. If you feel like you're the butt of every joke, you set a boundary and say, hey, listen, you have to be honest. Hey, listen, it actually makes me feel really bad when you make jokes about my sexuality because I'm still working on being confident in it and I need to feel accepted and that makes me not feel accepted, so I'm gonna ask you to stop. And the next couple times they 
do it. Say the minute it starts, hey, I'm going to stop you again. I've asked you to not do that. And if they keep doing it, well, then they're horrible people that don't care about you that have really bad boundaries. And then they're toxic and you need to not spend time with them. Because when we tell someone what we need and we set a boundary, especially around our mental health, if they ignore it and don't care, then they are toxic, narcissistic, abusive people. Period. It's like in a relationship, if someone knows what you struggle with, what your vulnerabilities are, and they use that to make jokes or torment you, that's abuse. We don't stay in abusive relationships in 2021. We bounce. I don't care if they're friends, coworkers, bosses, your president, like whatever it is. We, we, we hold them accountable. We tell them how to do and be better. And if it's not handled, we leave period. So this might be family members that aren't safe to be around because they're too biphobic and homophobic. But you tell them, we're going to ask you not make those jokes anymore. Here's why. And then you give them another chance or two only because when we set a new boundary, we have to hold it. I would love for people to immediately honor and support us in those boundaries, but they don't always. So sometimes we need to kind of circle back, but hold that boundary. You can't sometimes let it roll. You have to always say no, not okay, right? We have to, we don't apologize and we consistently hold it. But it's also a lesson to everyone listening. Like when someone's struggling to come out with something in our homophobic, biphobic culture, they're not usually in a place where they're ready for you to mock them like ever. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of other things to use to connect with someone. <sighs> These kinds of questions make me sad. <laughs> Just shows how much work we have to do around care and compassion. Like, why would you want to make someone you care about feel uncomfortable ever? Like, that's not love. That's not at all love. And you can't claim to love someone if you also find joy in making them feel bad or insecure. Those two things can't coexist. They just can't. All right, y'all, that's our show. Hope you guys spend the weekend rooted in uh, tons of rest, lots of joy and pleasure. And check out past episodes by going over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll on down. You'll see my face. Click it. Got all the past episodes there. And if you got a DM for us, drop in our Loveline DMs. They're always open. Any questions, thoughts, we're here to answer them. Whatever you're thinking about, struggling with, someone else might be too. So uh, as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. And you enjoy the rest of your night.